0: Alright, good morning everybody. Go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll meet you there in just one second. What What if I were to tell you that... that not forgiving somebody will keep you out of heaven? We understand that, right? That, that, that if you... If, if someone wrongs you for some reason and they approach you and apologize or if they... If they offend you in some way, and they approach you and they say listen I, I, I either didn 't mean to or I did mean to, but i I want, I want to talk to you about it because i i 'm sorry that I did that. We understand that that it would it, it would be counterproductive to the cause of Christ to not forgive them number one, and then number two, we understand that we would be held accountable because we 're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave us in the moment. First Peter chapter three says that the moment that we ask him for salvation through baptism, the baptism now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer, it's better translated inquiry, the question, it's not an answer, it's a question. When we're baptized, we're asking God to forgive us. And we're supposed to forgive others as, as, as he did. And the moment that we ask for forgiveness through baptism, the moment that we're baptized and we submit to this act, of obedience, God forgives us at that very moment without hesitating, without asking why, anything. We understand that. But what about if you're in the situation of the, of the people to whom Peter's writing and you're being persecuted, not, not yet at the point that the Romans would persecute Christians, but, but you're, you're going through some very difficult times. You are, you're being told that you can no longer have anything to do with your family because they don't, want, they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You're being told that you can no longer spend time in the places that you used to spend time in. Uh, just a few days ago, we had the men's study. We were talking about why does Paul go to, to the synagogues when he gets to a city? He's not going there to worship. What's he going there to do? Well, Paul's going there because that's where everyone gathers. Even the Christians gather there. And so when you get to, for instance, when he's about to convert Lydia, he gets to the city and there's no there's no synagogue in Philippi. And so he can't go to where all the Jewish Christians are. He can't go to where all the Jews are, the gathering place. And so he goes to the river to find where they are. You see, we understand that these Christians were now being their, their entire lives were being thrown upside down by, their, by the gospel. Not only were they leaving their past religion of Judaism, but now they're, now they're losing family members, now they're losing friends. And even to the point that in Acts chapter 7 we see the first martyr who's killed for the faith. you see other Christians being put to death for the faith, James specifically later on in the book of Acts. but the book of First Peters written, first Peter chapter 1 verse 1, to the exiles, to so the people that are pushed away. Okay? And 1 Peter chapter 2 starts like this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... The builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they are destined to do so. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which, war, which wage war against our, your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What happens when someone wrongs you and you don't forgive them? You, you, you hold it and you're bitter about it for whatever reason. I remember I had a friend growing up. He was my best friend. He lived four houses down from me on 10th Street in Arab. He was, he was my best friend. We did everything together. We explored the woods behind our houses and found deer skulls and, and practiced shooting the sides of trees with our BB guns. And man, we thought we were just like Indiana Jones out there in those woods. Here's my best friend. He taught me how to ride a skateboard or attempted to ride a skateboard when uh, he told me just stand on it and go down this hill. I made about halfway down. And uh, have y'all ever heard of speed wobbles? When you go so fast on a skateboard, it gets scary. And as, a, as an 11-year-old, you just jump off the skateboard. And what you don't realize is you're jumping onto concrete going like 150 miles an hour. I don't know how fast I was going. But here's my best friend. One day... We got in a fight. And you know how boys are, right? We'll fight and then 30 minutes later we're best friends again because that's just how it works. Well, this didn't happen. He, we got in a real fight, like a real one. And I don't know where he is now. I haven't talked to him since that day. We grew up together right down the road from each other. We went to high school together. We never talked past that day. Because because I was bitter about it. Now, whatever. doesn't really matter. But you see, what happens when you don't forgive someone? What happens when you hold this... Listen, it's the first day that heat is on and it is boiling up here. Alright. What happens when you don't forgive or you hold it so bitter that... Hold it in your heart so, so much that you become bitter. Here's what happens. You start talking bad about each other, right? You start... Maybe you start... Fudging a little bit on the story. Maybe, maybe when you start telling people about it, it's a little worse than it actually was, right? You, you start kind of holding it against each other to the point that, that eventually it becomes something like this. You start envying one another. Maybe my friend has a starting position on the football team, and I'm envious because I'm better than he is. Problem is, he's a quarterback and I'm a center, so it doesn't really matter if I'm better than he is because if I tried to be a quarterback, um, have y'all ever seen somebody uh, my size try to run for a touchdown? You aren't stopping us, but it's kind of weird. Anyways, so when you start envying one another, you start slandering one another, you start speaking against one another, that's what these Christians are going through I understand the sentiment behind you can't you can't forgive someone until they ask for it I i a hundred percent agree with that you cannot forgive someone if they're not willing to repent, but you cannot be bitter about it even if they don't repent that's their deal whatever leave them alone he never he never asked for forgiveness, so we 're not friends anymore, but it doesn't bother me anymore because that was Uh, 20 years ago. You see, the thing is that these Christians were in a place where they could quickly become bitter about what was going on. I hate the Jews because they killed Stephen. I hate the Jews and the Romans because they killed James. I hate them because they... They're tre- do you realize what they've done to us? They've made it to where we can't even go to the market. We can't even go to Walmart anymore because every time we do, somebody's there making fun of us or talking bad about us. And, and I'm just sick of it. See, that's what we often think of First Peter chapter two as just some individual thing. But put yourself in their position again. They're going through persecution. This book is the apocalypse for the common man. It's it is the everyday Christians dealing with. Persecution in one way or another. And so they're dealing with the Jewish persecution. And I I, I can completely understand where they're coming from. They, They started to get hardened hearts because of what was going on. And Peter says these words. Put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Become like children again. Children... Now we were, we were a little older, but, but young children, a five year old that gets in a fight with someone, you know what they're gonna do the next day? Oh well, doesn't really matter, right? You have blocks, I'd like to have some blocks, can we play with our blocks together? You see, it doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. Put away these things, don't let this persecution dwell in your hearts, because what you're gonna end up doing is you're gonna cross from being angry into sinning. Isn't it interesting that the line between anger and sin is almost universally understood? We say, be angry and do not sin. You never have to explain that. Everybody just understands what that means. There's a point where your anger becomes sinful. What is it? Maybe it's when you start having things like envy and slander and malice toward one another. But it's almost universally understood where that line is for each individual. You know where your line is. And I know where my line is. And he says, so you need to get rid of this stuff because what it's going to do is it's going to keep you out of heaven. Look at this right here, verse number 2. Likewise, like newborn babes, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What in the world does, What in the world does that have to do with dealing with persecution, Peter? Go to the scriptures. Just don't worry about what they've done to you. Just worry about what you can do. I don't know how many times I've told kids that get upset for one reason or another. You know, you can't you can't handle what they do. You can't you can't make them do anything. I can't make you worship. I can't make you do anything. I can't make you for ask for forgiveness. You can't make them do anything. All you can deal with is how you take care of the situation. In your heart. And that's what Peter's telling them to do. That I want you to become his children. And don't worry about all of this stuff. I want you... I want you to be able to stand up and know that it doesn't matter what anyone does to me. I'm following Christ. I want to read a couple passages for you about about this putting away of malice it's not just it's not just getting rid of it it's not a slow arduous process of make you know sometimes we'll make excuses about bitterness and we'll say well i'm trying to get over it but it's hard well yeah it is hard but i just want you to think about these verses when we're thinking about this term put away chapter two uh, verse number one so put away all malice and so forth romans 13 and verse 12 the night is far gone the day is at hand So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 4, verse 22. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This idea of putting away, Peter's using it to talk about a Christian. Who is fighting these temptations of malice and deceit and slander and so forth. But it's also used of the Christian who who's brand new. What would have happened if Paul had continued to persecute Christians after he became a Christian? I mean, just ask that question to yourself. He was supposed to put that away immediately, right? Stop it altogether. Just, what about, just, let's take this to its extreme, okay? You have a serial killer. And he becomes a Christian. And we've had one become a Christian, Jeffrey Dahmer. But I'm talking about one that hasn't been caught yet. He comes into services for one reason or another. And he obeys the gospel for one reason or another. And now he's a Christian, okay? He's supposed to put that away immediately, right? Never to do it again that's what that's what this word means it's not a slow process putting away is instantaneous that means that Christians have to have the wherewithal in their faith to say I'm not going to do this ever again and be done with it cold turkey as it were that's what he's commanding them to do that's what he's begging them to do but it is it is human nature to do this it's 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 built within us not not by god but by our by our own doing we have we have generated in ourselves this feeling of bitterness toward other people because we don't understand what forgiveness really means you can't truly forgive a person that never asked for it i understand that the, the reason is because there's always that animosity. There's always that knowledge that they did this and they don't care. But you can still, you can still release yourselves from that situation. You don't have to hold on to that. If you asked me what happened between me and my friend back then, I'd say, well, we got in a, a dumb fight for a dumb reason but it doesn't really matter to me anymore if i were to see him today i'd walk up to him and say how you doing and i'd ask him how his family is and i'd i'd see you know what he was doing for dinner that night because it doesn't matter anymore that's the kind of forgiveness that peter is talking about this this forgiveness is is something that well it's it's something that this afternoon we're going to look that that Christ did on the cross but here's a here's just the the general gist of it are you ready Jesus Christ is on the cross, and He says these statements. We're going to look at some of those statements this afternoon. But He says one that I want to bring up this morning. And that is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Wait a second. Jesus, they haven't asked for forgiveness. No, they haven't. But I still want you, Father, to forgive them, because I'm not going to hold this in my heart as bitterness. I'm not going to. They don't even understand what they're doing. In fact, that's what that's what Peter says in this section. Look at chapter 2, verse number 7. So the honor is for you who believe. What are you going to get out of this, this mindset of giving up the, the bitterness and not holding them accountable because they don't understand what they're doing? The honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is now. The cornerstone for their punishment. Are the Jews responsible for what happened to Jesus? Absolutely. Are the Romans? Absolutely. Now, they're going to be held accountable for what they did to Jesus. But Jesus already said, forgive them. Yeah, that's true. But you still have to pay the consequences for your sins. Even after you ask for forgiveness sometimes. Even after you've received forgiveness sometimes. You still have to pay the consequences for your sins. But... The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. They were destined to do this. Not that God made them, but that God knew a long time ago that the Jews were going to be persecuting you. In fact, Jesus prophesied of it. They're going to persecute you just like they're persecuting me because they don't know who you are and they don't know who I am. John 17, he prays that they would be one so that they could make it through this persecution just like Jesus Christ made it through the persecution. And then Peter says they don't understand what they're doing. Don't expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian because they don't realize what they're doing, number one. And number two, if they realized it, they still wouldn't even understand what they're doing. Those Romans... Those Jews that were persecuting these Christians thought they were doing the right thing. Have you ever had someone who did something wrong to you, who thought they were doing the right thing? Who thought that they were, they were helping someone by doing this, or that they were helping you by doing this, and somehow they offended you, somehow they hurt, hurt you, somehow they, they took something from you that belonged to you, maybe not stealing a physical possession, but maybe some emotional thing. They thought they were doing what was right. Yeah, because they, they, they don't understand. And even if they knew that they had done this, they still wouldn't understand. So why are you, why are you sitting over in the corner all bitter when it doesn't affect them one bit? Well, yeah, it was. It, they don't understand. Don't expect a non-Christian. Don't expect someone in the world to act like a Christian because they, they, they're not meant to. They're not Christians yet. It's why it's our responsibility to go to them and to ask them for forgiveness. To go to them and tell them, you have wronged me. And here's how. And here's how you can fix this. And if you're not a Christian, here's how you can become a Christian. But verse number 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jews... Verse number 10, once you were not a people, this is Jews and Gentiles now, once you were not a people, the Christians, you you were separated by this racial boundary that is no longer there. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Don't allow yourselves to go where it's human nature to. Don't allow yourselves... To, to be envious, to be slanderous, to be m- bitter and malice. Don't have malice against these people. Because you are different now. The, yes, they are making you leave your families and leave the, the, the tabernacle or leave the, the temple or the, the, the synagogues in your cities. They're making you change your entire life and you feel like you don't have any people anymore. But the fact of the matter is that you do you know, the beauty about the church is that no matter where we come from, no matter what we had to give up to become a Christian, whether it was family members, whether it was jobs, whether it was entire livelihoods, whatever it is, we leave those things. And sometimes we feel empty. We feel alone. We feel like now, what am I going to do? You meet a person that became a Christian and now their, their family has turned their back on them because they don't want to have anything to do with the church. I mean, you've met people like this, right? You know people in your family maybe, maybe it's you, maybe it's someone who's sitting in the pew down the, down the pew from you. You know these people who when they became a Christian, their parents said, well, I just, I just don't know why you would do that. You have now, you've condemned our entire family. Our family grew up in this religion and now you've, you've left this religion for this new thing and you've, you've completely turned your back on us. We don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And you feel kind of alone. Even if you haven't had that experience, when you become a Christian, you feel kind of alone because you're in this new thing and you don't understand what's going on. Well, the beauty of the church is, that's why he gave it to us. So we don't feel alone. So that even if we give away fathers and mothers, unless you love me more than your father and your mother, so forth, as Jesus said. Even if you've given away jobs, even if you've given away communities, you have a new community, you have a new family. Does that mean that we have to give away our families? You know, there there have been people that suggest that once a Christian once a person becomes a Christian, then they cease to be a part of a family. No. But what it means is exactly what exactly what Paul wrote in First Corinthians and Romans. And that is the situation where a woman is married to a man, she becomes a Christian, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And so he leaves her. But we understand that God hates divorce. We understand that God never wants the the bond of marriage to be broken. Even under the situation of Matthew 19.9. Yes, we understand there is a caveat there. But he hates that as well. That's why in Matthew 19, Jesus says that... Moses allowed you to do this because of the hardness of your heart. God doesn't want this to happen, but he understands that sometimes it, it has to happen. And so Paul says in Romans that there's a woman, an illustration here, there's a woman who's married whose husband doesn't want her to be a Christian and doesn't want to have anything to do with the church, and so he leaves her. What is she supposed to do? And he says, she's not under that bondage. Does that mean she's free to remarry? No, because of Matthew 19. What it means is that she doesn't have to pick her husband over Jesus Christ. We never, we never have to pick another human being over Jesus Christ. Because now we have this new people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, set apart, as verse number 9 says, a people for his own possession, made different for this purpose. Christians, I understand that you may be going through persecution. You may have lost your family and your friends and your entire community. But I want you to understand that even through all of this persecution, you still have a people. You are the chosen people of God. Because of that, you can't allow this malice to breed in your heart. Now, what can we learn from this? Well, of course, as as we go through this, we can understand that If we are in this situation of having lost friends and family and so forth for the faith, then it's pretty cut and dry what we can understand there, right? That we need to put away, make the mental decision to immediately cut ties with all malice and all deceit and all slander. Don't be bitter because of what they've done or how they've treated you. Immediately get rid of it. That's going to take tremendous mental fortitude... To be able to do that. Because listen, I'm just like you. Okay? I'm just like you. Maybe a little more so. If someone wrongs me, let's take, for instance, I've been using the illustration of of our drivers lately here in Columbus. Someone cuts you off. And then, maybe, let's take this illustration, okay? Someone cuts you off to get in line at the red light. You know how that works. You know, they see a shorter line, and so they jump over in front of you to get in the line. It's my nature. I'm usually pretty calm at that point. But it's my nature to five minutes down the road when I'm way ahead of them to look back and go, see, you shouldn't have cut me off back there. See, what's the purpose of that? Sin can come in a lot of different ways that we often don't think about. We read the, the lists of sins in First Corinthians chapter 6 and in Galatians chapter 5. And we read these long lists of sins like murder and like robbery and drug use and so forth and homosexuality. And all these long lists of horrible, horrible sins. And we start thinking at the end of the day, well, I haven't done one of those, so I'm pretty good. Well, the fact is that sin doesn't always come in one of those lists. Ways. That's why James says that if you know to do good and you don't do it, you've sinned. That's why Peter says that you have to put away malice. Well, what is malice? Well, taken to its extreme, it's murder. But I don't think any of these Christians are going to start killing Jews because of the persecution they're going through. But if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already killed him. Remember? Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter five, sorry. If if you hold this mindset, you're no better than the than the murderer who kills them because they've wronged them. See, sin comes in, in many different forms, not just one of the checklists in, in Galatians five or first Corinthians six. It comes it comes by means of our mind more often than not. Bitterness will kill a Christian's faith. Does that mean we have to just go around and acting like no one ever wrongs us even when they do? No. Does that mean that we can't hold people accountable for what they do to us? No. That, that's not saying. What I'm saying is that we can let it go long before they're held accountable. And I have, I have, a, I have proof of that. A few weeks ago, A man walked into a church building just south of Nashville. Well, he really walked up into the parking lot and started firing. Killed one of our sisters in Christ and harmed a lot of the members at the Burnett Chapel congregation. And they interviewed the preacher and the preacher said, well, I forgive him. He hadn't asked for forgiveness yet. He, he 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 doesn't care. He did that because he hated people. Well yeah. But if you ask that preacher right now, I guarantee you I know what he's going to say. It's not really it's not really something that I'm going to be bitter about. It's not something that I'm going to harp on. I hope he's held accountable for his his actions. But I'll be okay in the end. And that's what Peter's trying to urge them to do as well. And that's what we need to do. We can't, we can't just absolve them. We, can't, we, we, we still hold them accountable for when they've wronged us. Maybe it's not persecution. Maybe it's just something, someone sinning against us. We still hold them accountable. We still, Matthew 18, we still go to them and talk to them and try to get them to repent. But what if they don't repent? We don't sit there and harp on it and make ourselves bitter about it. Because all that does is keep our mind off of Christ. And all that does is make our focus on a human being more important than on the Christ who saved us from our sins. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2 is talking about. We have to be different. We have to be different than the rest of the world. I want to talk to you about something that's been going on the last few months. And I, I kind of I kind of didn't want to talk about it because it's something that, that I think we have to we have to be very careful about talking, but and I really think that it's it's nothing, nothing to be argumentative like we have become in our society. But this this idea of of kneeling before the national anthem. I know it has nothing to do with Christianity, okay? But here's the catch, okay? I was talking with a person who's not a Christian, who is a fundamental atheist, who who hates religion. And we were trying to talk through this and trying to figure out where we can come, where we can... Where in the world does, does a person need to go on this? And I said, here's my stance on this. As soon as they realized that it was offending people in ways that they didn't mean to offend people, no one who's kneeling before the... It, it, during the National Anthem, is trying to attack America or hates the flag. That's not what they're doing. But they've been misunderstood. The second that happens, they should have stopped. Because of 1 Peter chapter 2. Because of envy and malice and slander. Because it was being misunderstood. And the fact of the matter is that all it does is harm the cause What happens if a Christian in first Peter chapter two, what happens if a Christian starts speaking out and protesting the sins of the Jews and the persecution of the Jews? And it becomes a laughing stock to the point where then people are misunderstanding what they're saying and they start making fun of Christianity because they're just snowflakes. I'm sick of that term in our society. But what happens if that happens? Then the cause of Christ is, is lessened because of that. I think there's something that we can learn from 1st Peter chapter 2 outside of just persecutions. If what we do harms the cause of Christ, if what we do harms our intent, we have to rethink what we're doing. Cuz what it does is it starts it starts to make people look at Christianity a little differently. If a Christian a Christian is up in arms about every single thing. On one side of the aisle or the other, it makes it makes the church look less. I can prove it to you. Go to these people that you know on social media or anything. Go to their pages. The, the people that that are upset about everything at every instance, regardless of what it is. Today, they're going to be upset about something. Tomorrow, they're going to be upset about something else. Go to their pages and look at how many times they share Bible verses or they share scriptural articles or they share anything about their faith. You know how many times it will be? Zero. You know what that's going to say to people? When they go up to someone and they say, won't you come to church with me? They're going to say, it looks like you don't really care much about church. It looks like you care more about Animal rights, or some, some some insignificant thing. I'm not saying that that the problems in America are insignificant. What I'm saying is, it harms our cause. And these Christians had the chance to harm their cause. And what Peter says to them is, don't let your bitterness, don't let your your anger be a means for people to look down on Jesus Christ. Because in doing that, we harm the one nation. We harm the royal priesthood. Because people look at us and they already don't like us enough. They already look down on us enough. They don't, we don't need to give them reasons to do it. It also goes for the non-Christian. Because a lot of non-Christians are misunderstood as well. A lot of people out in the world want to know what to do. They just don't know how to find it. If you're here and you want to know what to do, let me tell you what you need to do in order to take care of your sins. You need to obey Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. It's easy as that. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're going to put him on in baptism, understanding what baptism means. But then you're also going to move on to being a... A light in a world that is completely and utterly given over to sin. You're going to move on to faithful worship. You're going to move on to faithful obedience and mindsets toward other human beings. You're going to move on to the point where you put away all malice and slander and deceit and so forth. And you're going to become a faithful Christian. If you need to do that and you need to become a Christian to be baptized for the remission of your sins, there is absolutely nothing holding you back. It's not your family, it's not your friends or your job or anything else. There is nothing holding you back except your unwillingness to do it. You ask those Christians that Peter's writing to, what it cost them to become Christians. It costs them everything. There's nothing holding us back from faithfully following God except for ourselves. If you need to become a Christian, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.